We all live busy, busy lives. And there's always something to do for our families, our extended families, our home maintenance projects. There's work commitments. There's school commitments. There's volunteer organizations. There's volunteering here at the church. We have some very busy lives. And it can get hectic sometimes. So when I have to do something and I have to go someplace, I want to get to where I'm going. I want to get there quickly. I want to get there safely. And I want to take the most direct route. So for the past 14 years, I've done outreach ministry on the weekends. And seven of that 14 years, I've done it at Wayne County Jail, downtown Detroit. And so... My normal route is to go 275 to 96 to 94 to 75 in 35 minutes, boom, I'm there. That's if the traffic flow is good. And I've been traveling that route for years. But summer before last, I got a big surprise. As I'm coming up on 96, I'm seeing these orange signs. I'm seeing these blinking arrows. I'm seeing people darting in and out of traffic with their cars. And I look up and 96 is closed. And I panicked. Okay, Sweat started coming from my head. My heart started palpitating. My pulse was racing. Now, why did I panic? Because at Wayne County Jail, Jails and prisons run on time, not by the hour, but by the minute. When your service is 1 o'clock at Wayne County Jail, it is not 101, it is not 102, it is not 103. Because they cannot have the people who are incarcerated sitting there waiting for you to come because it's a security problem. So you have to be there at least 1250, no later than 1255. Well, I recognized that when 96 was closed down, that the signs and the arrows were taking me on a detour. But my GPS wasn't going to help me. I didn't really know where I was going to be routed. And so I did get there. But when I parked my car downtown, I grabbed my Bible. I headed out my car. Uh, my shoe fell off. I was a hot mess, <laughs> a hot mess. When I got inside the, the jail, the Wayne County Sheriff guy who was doing frisking me and doing security who knows me says, Minister Tibbs, what's wrong with you? I could hardly speak. That's not a way that you want to start a service. And so I don't like detours. I don't like detours. And so God has a plan for our lives. And he's got a destination that he wants to take us to for each and every one of us. And he has a plan, his plan to get us there. And that plan, believe it or not, has a predetermined routes and paths that he's already figured out for us, that he wants us to travel. And if we will travel according to his plan, going down the routes that he has predetermined, there won't be any unnecessary drama. And so we have learned that God's plan for us is always a good plan. And we're going to look at Jeremiah 29 and 11. 
And in this scripture, it is oft quoted, but I want to say this before I read it, that Jeremiah, who was the weeping prophet, was writing to the captives, those Israelites who were taken from Jerusalem into Babylonia in captivity. And God was using Jeremiah to speak to them. And so Jeremiah says in 2911, and this is the Lord, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And I like the New Living Translation too. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So God has an intentional plan for each of our lives. My plan's different than Joy's plan that is different than Andrew's plan that is different than Barb's plan or Tim's plan or Haley's plan or Ben's plan or Paula's plan. We each have a plan that God has given and designed for us. And it's intentional. And so we weren't created just to hang out, to breathe the air, and just be here until we go home. He's got a plan for us. There's a destination, a place to where he wants to take us. And after we, as we take that journey, if we agree to take it, then as we're going down that path, as we're going down that predetermined route, as we're going down that course, he's going to do things in us and he's going to accomplish things through us because he's given us spiritual gifts to do that. He's placed at least one gift and more within us to do his will and to accomplish the plan that he has set for each and every single one of us. And so God will always be with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will always be with us. He has promised that. And so if you're willing to go down this predetermined path, take the journey, you can count on God. He will be there with us, with us. And so... Let's take a look at the good things he wants us to do because we were created to do good things in the earth, okay? To be God's light in this world. In fact, Acts 10, 38 says how Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power and that he did, went about doing good and healing those that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So God was with him. God wants us to do the same works that Jesus did. Us? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Us. The same works? Yes. To go about doing good? Yes. To bless people? Yes. To lay hands on the sick so that they shall recover? Yes. We don't heal them. God heals them through us. But we join our faith with this person then God can come through and he can perform the healing miracles. We can't heal anyone, but the great healer can. And he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee. Amen? Amen. So we do these great works. And Ephesians 
2 and 10, and I'm going to go with the amplified version because I like this. It says, for we are his workmanship, his own masterwork. We're masterpieces, a work of art created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set. Mm, He set those paths so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. So everything's prearranged. It's, it's prearranged. Oh, it's a lesson you're talking about. When was it prearranged? Well, I'm glad you asked. Okay, let's go to Ephesians 1 and 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Even before the foundations of the world were formed, God had us on his heart. And he formed his plan for each and every one of us. And that's a wonderful thing. It's prearranged. It's already determined. All we have to do is agree to follow. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so it always tickles me when I read the Bible and I see places in it where God has called someone where God has revealed or starts to reveal the plan that he has for someone in the Bible. In Moses, he tells Moses he wants him to go to Egypt and he wants him to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Okay? And this scripture is not on the screen, but in Exodus 4.10, Moses says, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He stuttered. He's like, you want to use me? You want me God goes, "Uh uh-huh. See, it doesn't matter about what we think we can't do because we can't do it in our own strength, okay? But when he chooses you and he's got a plan, specifically a thing or things he wants you and me to do, he has made no mistake. Absolutely, our God doesn't make mistakes. His ways are higher and his thoughts are higher. And you may think it's impossible, but it's not with God. Amen? So let's look at somebody else. We're going to go back to Jeremiah. And he also, too, questioned God. And we're going to go to Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10. And Jeremiah was the son of a preacher, okay? And the Lord spoke to Jeremiah. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, so sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you. And say whatever I tell you, and don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I have put my words 
in your mouth. Today, I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. You see, God told him, don't tell me you're too young. I need you to go wherever I say to go. I need you to say whatever I want you to say. And I also need you not to be afraid. Be of good courage, for I am the Lord, and I will be with you. I will protect you. In fact, later on in that same chapter, God tells them, the priest, the princess, the people of the land, they're going to, the kings, they're going to come up against you, Jeremiah. But he tells them, they will fail. I, the Lord, will prevail. So when we are thinking that we can't do something because we're not strong enough, that's true. But our God is strong in us. And the Lord that is within us, his spirit, he can accomplish all if we will get in agreement with what God wants to do. He needs us to be in agreement. So the questions then become, and these are kind of like two questions I had to ask myself as I started growing in Christ. Do I want to take the journey? Do I want to take the journey? I know it sounds like a simple question, but the answer is a big one. Do you want to take the journey? Do you want to go down this predetermined path, this route that God has designed for you? And if you want to take that journey, will you do it his way? Will you do it his way? You can go down the path, but will you do it according to God's way so that you can avoid the detours? Because when we try to do it in our own strength, detour, detour. I know you're not from my generation, but it's danger, Will Robinson, danger. Danger, Will Robinson, danger, okay? That's my generation, okay? So we have to determine whether we want to take the journey, and that is only a one-on-one -on -one with God. There's nothing that I can do to tell you but to trust him, but you have to make your own decision, okay? Amen? So there are men and women of God that took the journey. They took the journey, and I'm going to give you a little snippet of a couple of people in the Bible who took the journey. Now, I can't go into all of the scripture because the stories are too long, but just hang out with me for a minute because I want to show you some men and women of God who decided to take the journey. Amen? So let's go to Genesis. 1, 20, uh, 12, 1 through 5. The Lord sa had said to Abram, who later became Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abraham, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, 
and all his wealth, his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. Now notice he took his nephew Lot. He took his nephew Lot. Didn't God say, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family? So we detour when we modify God's instructions, okay? When we modify God's instructions, we detour. God doesn't want us to add or to or subtract from what he tells us to do. And so in this case, he took Lot. Lot took his household. Lot took his kinsmen. Lot took his flock. And when they got to the land that the Lord had prepared for Abram, guess what? It wasn't large enough to hold both families. And so they got into strife with each other. And they settled it by Abram staying in Canaan and by Lot going to Sodom. But that strife was not intended. It was not intended. And so when God tells us to do something, he, doesn't, he wants us to do it exactly as he tells us to do it. And I know I've been guilty oftentimes where I'm just going to add a pinch to it. Just a pinch. Just a pinch. Okay? But when I add that pinch, it's no longer God's instructions. They're mine. Amen? And so when I get upset when it doesn't work, I can't be upset at God because I didn't do it the way he told me to do it. Amen? Amen. And so we take detours when we try to force things to happen. Let's go to Genesis 16, 1 through 10. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Detour. Detour. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar. She became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abraham, this is all your fault. What? What? Say what? Say what? I put my servant into your arms. But now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And it goes on to say that Abram told her, she's your servant, you deal with her. And so Sarah treated Hagar harshly, harshly. And Hagar ran away. But the Lord, he said to her, Hagar, go back. Serve under your Mistress Sarah, be obedient, and you will have your son. And he, your, 
your son will have many descendants. And so Sarai went back, and she had a son, and his name is Ishmael. Okay, And so for a time, everything was fine. At 86, he had Ishmael, Abraham did. But at 99, at 99, 13 years later, the Lord appears before Abram, and he makes a covenant with him, and he changes his name to Abraham, and he changes Sarah's name to Sarah, and he tells him, I'm going to make you a father of the nations, and there's going to be descendants that so many like the stars. And he also tells them, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you an heir. At 99, he tells them that. And at 100, God fulfilled his promise. He had a son, and he named that son Isaac. And Sarah, now who was once Sarah, is 90 years old. But guess what? Sarah or Sarah becomes jealous, and she sees that, she also gets angry because she sees that Ishmael is treating Isaac poorly. So she says to Abraham, I want her out. I want her out. And this saddened Abraham because he loved his son, but he did fulfill the request of Sarah, and Hagar and Ishmael had to leave. Now, the consequences of that, even to this very day, to this very day, okay, because of a detour, okay, because Sarah jumped the gun, was helping God out and kind of forced things, there are many religions out of Christianity that do not recognize Isaac as Abraham's heir. They recognize Ishmael as his firstborn and heir. So we have to be careful about taking detours because consequences happen. And so that's another story. I've got one more. I've got one more. Be patient with me. So we cause detours to happen when we disobey. And in Numbers 28 and 12, this is the Lord and speaking. He says, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there. Speak to the rock. Speak to it. And it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. And Moses was mad. He's like, listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff. And water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. So they didn't get to go into the promised land because they disobeyed God. 
in public. They didn't have trust in him. Now, are they with the Lord? Yes. But they didn't get a chance to fulfill every part of that plan that God had originally set for them. So, it's important that we obey. So, we go on detours, number four, when we move from where God has placed us. And in this situation, I just want to share a quick story with you about me. Okay, so when I got saved, I got saved in a mega church, 18,000 here locally in Southfield, another seven to 8,000 across the United States and other countries. And for the first couple of years, I sat and I listened, and I was just taking in the word. I was 32, um, as many of you know, rebellious, lived a life out in the streets, kind of wild, not kind of, was a wild woman. And in that third or fourth year, I was like, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to serve you. I want to serve you. So he spoke to me, and, and he told me, you'd be a good usher, a good greeter. And so I signed up for being an usher and being a greeter. I was all excited. I was all in. I'm telling you, I was one of the best ushers because, you know what, I had that airplane mentality like an airline steward attended. They'd come in, and I'd be waving them in, and I'd have them go over there, and I'd tell them to be careful and, you know, watch their step. I had them going. They were coming, going, and it was just a beautiful thing, okay? I was excited, and I actually did usher like that. I didn't make it up. Ask some people, okay? They used to just watch me. <laughs> and so one day, because we had such a large church, there'd be somewhere between 100 to 120 ushers per service. And we would pray before service. And we were praying one day, and the department head, she called me up to the front of the room out of all these people. And, you know, we had to wear these uniforms. They were blue jackets, white blouse, and long gray skirts. Oof. And she called me up, and I'm all excited. I think, oh, she's going to say she, she's a great usher or she's really good at doing this. And she puts her hand on my shoulders. I'm standing and looking out at the hundred and something people. And she says, you know, Sister Celeste here, now this is an example of how not to wear your skirt. And she takes out a measuring tape, and she measures my skirt in front of everybody, and she says it's a half an inch too short. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, it's true. I was so hurt. But I had to serve. I had to do my job. I left service. I went home. I cried my eyes out, and for six months, I did not go back to that church. I looked to go someplace else. I was, there's a term called church hurt, okay? I was hurt, but something didn't click. Every church I went to, it just wasn't a fit. It just wasn't a fit. And so God finally said, daughter, when you're around Christians, as well as non-Christians, you're going to find opportunities to be offended. It's going to happen, okay? But who are you focusing on, them or me? And I need you to go back 
and I need you to make amends, and I need you to be at peace. And I went back, okay, and I talked to the department head, and I told her I was sorry for not, you know, just dropping out. And I sat and I let God minister to me. And after a while, I got back involved, not back with the ushers, but I got back <laughs> involved with another ministry. And so what am I here to tell you? If I had moved from that place where God had placed me, I may not have met my husband. You see, God brought my husband to visit that church. A husband and wife, they set me up, and they brought my husband there. I also went to ministry school there. And there might be a possibility that I wouldn't be here with you today if I would have moved from that place because I stayed there nine more years, a total of 13 years. God wanted to do something in me and through me. And he wanted me to understand that people are going to hurt you, even Christians, but we're still called to love each other and we're still called to forgive each other. Amen? Amen. Now, when God says move, move. But you don't want to be ahead of them. And you don't want to lag behind them. So when he says go, be ready to go. But if you move outside of the perfect will of God, it's a detour. It's a detour. And there's some stuff affiliated with detours. Okay? So it's important that we move when God says move. Don't move, even if you're suffering persecution. Some of you are right now. You have jobs that you don't like. You have people who may be treating you poorly, but God says to pray for them. Now, I won't tell you that story. That'll be another time, but pray for them. If he tells you to go, go. If he hasn't told you to go, stay. And you plant your feet there and you pray for these people because when you pray for them, he's going to break wide open a door for you. But if you move before ahead of time, you're going to learn that lesson somewhere else. Somewhere else. And I'm I have a testimony about that, but not today. So, don't move out of place unless God tells you to. And sometimes some folks won't move to the place that God wants to take them. And that's another thing. And so, the next thing is being prideful. God does not want us to be prideful. Adam and Eve are good examples, as well as Lucifer, who was an angel. He was a favorite angel, but he tried to exalt himself above God, and he ended up being kicked out of heaven because of pride. And so those are just some of the things that can cause us to take detours. So have I... Have I detoured many times in my life? Yes. Should we despair if we detour? No. We should go to God. Don't despair. Don't beat yourself up. Don't kick yourself. Don't say I'm no good. Don't say God can't use me. Don't say that I'm condemned. Be convicted. Condemned means that you know, that's the enemy speaking to you, saying that you're not worth anything, that you're no good and you'll never be any good. That's the enemy. But God will convict you to do the things that he wants you to do according to the way that he wants you to do them. 
So go to God and say, help me. I made a mistake, Daddy. Forgive me, Daddy. I'm wrong. But I can't do this without you. It's impossible. And I need you to show me. Me, hard-headed Celeste, show me. I need your help. And so I want to close with this one thing because I'm running out of time, as you can see. But in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. No detours. He'll make them straight. See, my grandmother, she passed away at 104, but she used to have some of these old sayings. I thought they were crazy at one point in my life until I got older, until I got to know the Lord. But when I was younger, she would say, baby, you got to get low, stay low, and obey. I'm like, get low, stay low, and obey? But what she was saying is that we need to reverence God as Lord. See, I reverence God as Savior. When we got saved, oh, yeah, I'm forgiven for my sins. Oh, yeah, I'm going to have eternal life. I reverence God as Savior, but it's taken me time to reverence him as Lord because he is Lord. He's Lord of our lives. He's Lord of everything. He's Lord of the universe. And so when we reverence him as Lord, we will bow our knee. We will bow our knee and we will keep it bowed. See, the Lord not only wants us to bow our knee, but to keep it bowed and never raise up off of our knees. Because when we raise up, it's us. But when we stay bowed in reverence to him, we're going to submit. We're going to do what he tells us to do. We will obey him, but we must stay on bended knee. We must stay on bended knee. And then repent if you make a mistake. Just repent quickly and keep going forward because he's got a plan for you and he's got a plan for me. And today, if there's anyone here that does not know the Lord Jesus, I'd like to pray for you because I believe God has plans for you. But in order for those plans to come to fruition, you must know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and have a relationship with him. So if there's anyone in here that does not know the Lord, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Amen. And so I'm going to pray. Father, in the matchless name of Jesus, we thank you, Father God. We thank you for this word, Father God. We believe, Father God, that we are yours, Father God, and that you have great things prepared for us. These things were prepared in advance, Father God, because you, Father God, loved us so much, Father God. Father God, we will move forward with your plans, and we say yes to you, Father. Yes, Father. 
Yes, we will fulfill the plan that you have, Father God, created for us before the foundations of the world, before we were placed in our mother's womb, Daddy. And Father God, we will do it your way to the best of our ability, Daddy. We want to, we desire to, Father God, because we know that, Father God, your way is the right way. It keeps us on the narrow path, Father God. And Father God, you have an expected end for us, Father God, a glorious end, a magnificent end, Father God. And so, Father God, while we're here, here in the earth, Father God, use us. Do what you want with us, Father God, because we revere you, Lord. We're on bended knee, Daddy. We're on bended knee. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Tell us what you want, Lord, and we shall obey. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.